Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast that's all in the name. Good coffee with great conversation. Here's your host, Larry Vincent. Good. All right. Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast. I am your host, Larry Vincent, and with me today uh, is Dr. Brad Pickens. Do, do you? Uh, do I need to call you doctor throughout the podcast? You can call me Ted. Ted. <laughs> All right. Uh, I might hold you to that, Ted. Um, no, Brad uh, is, is, is a good friend of mine. Uh, Brad helped me through a, a real tough time about five years ago now, it has been, uh, when, when I was going through my, my, my last church issues. Uh, Brad, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, your role right now um, and you know, maybe the farmhouse ministry, if you would like to? Uh, but yeah, just fill us in a little bit about who you are today. Yeah. Um, I'm the executive director of the farmhouse mission, which is, uh, located in Southern Indiana. Uh, the farmhouse is a place designed to do a couple of different things. Uh, first of all, it's a place of, uh, of refuge and support, uh, for people that are in need of, uh, kind of spiritual direction and, uh, and support. Uh, it's a place of prayer and uh, and monastic retreat that we have uh, groups uh, and individuals come out uh, and share with us in that capacity. And uh, we are in a uh, fairly impoverished section of Indiana, as you know. Uh, and so we do a lot of uh, community development work, uh, primarily economic development and uh, working with uh, some healthcare issues uh, and things like that. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so you're here today because you have a very unique story um, and journey over the last, especially five years, um, with all the changes in your uh, in your in your walk and things like that. But uh, I almost forgot, man. I, I've been doing this now three seasons, and I almost forgot the most important part of the podcast: the first sip. Um, yeah, yeah I, you've listened to a couple episodes, I, I think. Uh, so, uh, would you tell everybody, uh, you're actually one of my few coffee drinkers, Brad. Yeah. So well. I'm really, really happy about that. That, that excites me personally. Um, <laughs> what, what coffee are you drinking this morning, my friend? I've got a, uh, a cup of love buzz, uh, from equal exchange, uh, purchased at lost river market in Delhi, uh, which is apparently the, uh, the single, uh, single biggest seller of love buzz in the market. Okay, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of different directions my head is going with the uh, Love Buds blend. Uh, you're going to have to describe that to me. Uh, what What is Love Buds taste like? What kind of a blend uh, is it? It's a dark roast. Um, okay. Beyond that, that's about the extent of my coffee connoisseurship. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that it's full of... Uh, like mountain berries and trout or something like that. Sure. <laughs> uh, it just, it just tastes good. Uh, right. It's got enough body and, uh, and soul to it that it makes you feel like it's worth uh, waking up in the morning. Uh, and, uh, and maybe you can get through a little bit of your day. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, today I, I am doing a uh, blonde roast today. Um, so more caffeine uh, for me uh, because – it's been rough. It's been rough. So let's go ahead and take our first sip. All right. Ah, that's, that's, that's some good stuff. That's some good Indeed. stuff. Indeed. So, uh, so, okay. Now back to the actual content of the podcast, mm -hmm. my friend. Uh, so uh, one of the things that we like to ask people is just a quick, um, you know, journey of what they've been through church-wise, uh, you know, how did you how did you grow up in the church? What is what is your faith story growing up? Um, well, I grew up in a church uh, just down the road from my house. Uh, I live out in the country uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, and the church that I grew up at was founded in 1820 uh, by uh, some of my uh, ancestors. Uh, my people uh, came to this area in 1812. Uh, they gave land that this church was built on. It's where my parents went. It's where my dad's parents went. And so, you know, all the way back for, for seven generations. Um, and so 
I grew up in an ideal church environment. It was actually a, a community church in the best possible sense of that word, um, because everybody who attended the church uh, was from the community or had roots in that community. Uh, there wasn't anybody that was really more than two or three miles away from it, because uh, that was how far you could reasonably uh, you know, drive a horse and buggy back in the day, right? Right, right. Um, and so I grew up with people, uh, it was fairly, I guess you'd call it conservative, um, but I, I don't really like those kind of labels, um, because at that time, I mean, you know, 40 years ago, all churches were just churches. Right. And the difference between, you know, an independent Christian church and an Episcopal church or, you know, a Presbyterian church, something like that, uh, was actually quite a bit less significant than it is now. Um, but grew up with just absolutely the best, kindest, uh, I think some of the wisest people I've ever known uh, who shared uh, responsibilities, you know, amongst themselves. Uh, yeah. Like we were, and as I say this in a very collective way, I mean, we, uh, all of my peers, were raised in the church by the church. Yeah. Uh, and we spent our time at the church. Um, yeah. You know, we worshiped together. We uh, we played together. Our parents would talk after church late, at, you know, late into the night. And we'd be out front playing red light, green light. And then as we grew up, uh, you know, we we began to spend, um, you know, more time really, uh, uh, I mean, kind of discipling one another uh, and and growing in our faith together, at least as far as as kids in the youth group went and things like that. Uh, that was a really positive element of my church background. How, how, how long ago was that? Um, you know, because it almost seems like that kind of a church model no longer exists today and, and is frankly archaic. Right. And so like when people hear this, uh, they're assuming that you're, you know, relatively old and that's not true. That's not the case. Right. I mean, uh, what what decade are we talking about here, Brad? Um, the late 1970s through about 1992. I can put a date on when it ended because we had a pastor that came in that was kind of a knothead. Yeah. Um, and Fair. so um, it took a while longer for the church to really fall apart. But that was when it started to. Um, and really what it was, it was a product of, of just being isolated. Yeah. Um, you know, Southern Indiana, the part, the place that I live is about as far removed from centers of power as you can get. Uh, you know, we're an hour from any any other city of any kind of size. Uh, yeah. uh, and um, and the, the outside world didn't really come in. So we had our own culture, our own um, way of life. Right. Um, and, it, and it worked really, really well for us uh, as long as that uh, stayed the same. Uh, yeah. What happened then, um, so, you know, and about the time that this other minister came in, uh, was also about the time that people started to get, you know, say satellite television, uh, and then soon after that, cable television started to come in in the towns. Uh, you know, four or five years after that, you started to get internet access and things like that. And so suddenly, uh, you know, and these people were mobile people. I mean, yeah. Well, I grew up with worked in business. I mean, they traveled to Japan and like right. traveled to Europe. I mean, they'd been places to work, but they came back here and that was where they were. And the and where they went didn't change how they lived here, you know. Yeah, right. Um, but then you know, in the '90s, especially in the early 2000s, uh, there really there was a strong influx of of kind of outside uh, outside influence, outside thought just in terms of what it means to be a person, what it means to live in a community, what we want from our neighbors, uh, what it means to live in a, in a church. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't enough anymore to just be a really, really strong church. I mean, we were a church of 200 people in the middle of a cornfield um, that we got those people because we were just good people. We were welcoming and neighborly and kind, and we, right. loved, our, we loved our neighbor. Well, then there came a point where that wasn't enough because uh, people embraced this uh, this mega church model. And so they wanted to grow the church and do all this stuff. And nobody was smart enough to figure out that 200 people in a in a county, 20 square miles uh, with less than 20,000 people in it. We per capita, we had more people in that church than like the largest mega church in the denomination. Yep. Um, you know, that was in a in a metro area of a million people. 
Right. Um, and so, so like bringing those ideas in really didn't make sense for us, but that's what they started doing. And, and it really had some negative effects on the, on the church and on the community. What negative effects, uh, are, uh, generally speaking, um, um happened? I, generally speaking, I, there was, uh, there's no longer any sort of, uh, any room for discipleship. Uh, or any kind of um, of depth to what was going on there, um, and and the the longtime people, the people that had grown up there and had you know deep roots there, uh, you know, are basically gone. Uh, so out of you know out of that 180 200 people you know that were there in in 1998 2000, uh, there's maybe say 15 left, uh, 20 left. Um, you know, it they ran off a lot of people because of the uh, because of the attitudes and the the approach that they were taking. Yeah. Uh, so it was it just wasn't ideal. Um, so this is your formative years, right? Um, you you take a look at you know you, you grow up in a church that was your community, right? Mm-hmm. That was your um, spiritual discipleship group. Right. I mean, they 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 raised you, they taught you, they formed you uh, how you saw God was through their through their uh, through their guidance. And and then and then it changed. Right. You know, when you looked at the uh, the church and you looked at what it had become at that moment, what did that do to your faith? Did it motivate you? Did it did it? Uh, did it make you pessimistic? Did, were you were you scarred? What 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 was your response to all that? Um, boy, that's a complicated question. And I think, you know, I, I think the the initial inkling that something wasn't right, uh, say, came when I was still in high school. Okay. Uh, because I was watching what was happening with my peers. Yeah. And, and while some of us we had a strong you know a strong connection. Uh, in and through church, and we had a strong connection as disciples. Yeah. Um, there was also a sense in which uh, the church was no longer speaking in an intelligible way to them, uh, and I, I was rec- I was beginning to recognize that. Yeah. Um, and I, I at the time, and I guess part of how I would I would couch that um was that was about the time that uh that some of the culture war nonsense really started to ramp up yeah and um you know i mean i remember people giving me i mean they would complain about the music that i was listening to or something like that um and and it didn't make any sense uh to pick that fight because you know we were praying together we were reading our bibles every day we were you know like the fact that I, you know, was listening to Nirvana or something, that wasn't changing who I was. The scriptures were changing who I was, and right. because the scriptures were changing who I was, then this other stuff didn't impact me. And so, you know, part of what the church was trying to do, uh, it was trying to convert people by saying that they had to stop doing all these things that really weren't harmful in and of themselves, or that weren't necessarily a problem or whatever. And so, like the bar uh, for admission was that you couldn't watch certain movies, you couldn't do certain things. And, and in that, uh, in setting it up that way, the church really cut itself off from its culture. It cut itself off from um, uh, the, the people that it could, uh, it, it no longer spoke a common language that it could, that it could talk to people. Well, but that wasn't anything new, was it? Because, I mean, if I'm just thinking it off the top of my head, uh, when the Beatles were popular and Elvis was popular, the church had almost a similar response, didn't they? Yeah, it would, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there when the Beatles were popular. Yeah, uh, touche. Uh, uh, you know, but I, I know, yeah, sure, parts of that. Um, but, you know, I would say there wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't like uh, when the Beatles were, were going, there wasn't like something with the clout of James Dobson that yeah. was writing articles and having radio shows attacking him. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, you know, very true. I mean, maybe, um, maybe in some respects, and even then, I, I can't think. I mean, Billy Graham wasn't like that. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, and, and I know there were, you know, national organizations at that point that, you know, say were complaining about it, or maybe they were probably more denominational, uh, yeah. you know, pushbacks against that. 
but with us, like when I was, you know, coming through high school, it was really these national organizations that had, you know, multi, multi tens of millions of dollars that they were pushing back against these things and trying to claim that, you know, if you were listening to, I mean, some of this stuff is the most innocuous possible you know, I guess at one level, I can kind of see maybe someone wouldn't like some of like Nirvana's content, right? But like some of the other bands that we were listening to, I mean, it was so innocuous uh, yeah. pushback against it um, that uh, I, it, it was it was not comprehensible. Um, sure. And and then a lot of it too was uh, you know it was also uh, there was a lot of fear mongering, and that had come up. You know, that probably started in the early '80s. Um, you know, weird interpretations of the Hotel California or, you know, right, uh, right. stuff like that, that it's a, you know, supposed to be this satanic thing and, and, you, you know, it, just nonsense like that. So but, uh, we're kind of off track here. Yeah, a little bit, uh, but that's okay. That's what we do at Coffee and Conversation. We take the rabbit trails until we find our way back. Uh, so, so what did that, what did that do to your view of the church as you entered into your young adult years, uh, college, seminary, things like uh, that? Man, well, you know, I went to college. I mean, I went to when I was in high school. I felt a call to ministry, uh, which was such that I and I, I kind of wanted to do other things. Yeah. Uh, like I had other things I was good at. I had other things that I was interested in, and I finally came to see that. You know, I could I had the ability to do a lot of things, but to be faithful to God, I needed to to obey God and, and enter into, you know, ordained vocational ministry. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, really, I went to Bible college with the idea of uh, of speaking uh, into the situation that my peers and I were in uh, yes. because the church wasn't doing that. I mean, you know, I really saw the church. Uh, was speaking to um, older cultures, older older systems, uh, and um, and that the world had passed it by. It was yeah. still it was still trying to have a conversation that nobody else was engaged in, yeah. uh, and and then uh, and it was cultural, and and so at the point that it was having a conversation about the culture from like the 1980s, and it was like actually 1998, uh, there wasn't any point in engaging with the church. So, you know, what it really did for me, I think, from the beginning um, was I was always kind of on the outside of, of I was always on the margins of the church. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was very much the case in Bible college. Um, I didn't uh, I didn't really fit in there. Uh, and so what I did in Bible college, instead of hanging out with people at the Bible college, is I went and I had coffee every night at Pizza Hut and I hung out with the wait staff there and their friends. And I read and did work. And so I had like this weird little ministry with these, you know, just these random, random people that would get drug over to my table and yeah. um, and just talk with them about spiritual things, uh, which, you know, was has really kind of been something that's followed me throughout my life. I mean, it, it happened uh, uh, the last time it really happened in a big way was this fall. I was in Nashville uh, for a kind of a work trip and eating dinner somewhere, reading a book. And, and this waiter, you know, wanted to talk about uh, spirituality. Uh, yeah. And he, he kind of found out in a roundabout way, you know, what I was doing or who I was. And he needed something. And so we got to engage for a little bit in, at that level. Um, you know, and so what it did to me from a faith perspective uh, was I really um, I really saw the need to to kind of continue my own formation um, I began to think of my formation more in um, in terms of my own spirituality or in terms of mystical experience uh, rather than expecting to get fed at church. Um, you know, so for a long time, uh, the church I grew up in, so there was a 25-year period of just abysmal uh, pastoral leadership there. And, um, and so by the time with the second second generation of that. Uh, by the time that happened, I just started taking books with me to church. Like I'd, I had stuff to do. And so I'd just sit in the back and read. And oh, wow. and invariably, um, I mean, because there wasn't any point in doing anything else. And, uh, and it, it happened one Sunday because I really had something I had to get done that afternoon. And I just sat in the back and I read my book and nobody said anything. And I thought, well, if nobody cares, 
then I'm just going to start doing that because uh, I wasn't getting anything out of it to begin with. And so I'd sit in the very back and uh, just outside there were kind of these doors and I'd sit back there and this, and the same thing had happened there. It happens in restaurants. Uh, people get up, maybe they have to go to the restroom or something. They'd come by and then they'd need to talk about something spiritual because they couldn't do it at church. And so, you know, or they couldn't do it through the structures of church. And yeah. so, so again, so I'd, I'd go to church and I'd remove myself from what was happening there and, and I'd find people that needed, um, that needed pastoral care uh, and that had different, a different set of questions than what was being addressed. Man, uh, that, that's huge, Brad. I mean, because like I hear in your story this sense of community growing up and then that community being completely shattered, mm. um, you know, uh, with the uh, you know, toxic leadership, as you, you know, as you've described it. And, and, and yet people are still seeking that kind of community, you know. I mean, how, man, that must have been uh, – did you ever approach the leadership about that? Uh, you know, I talked to some of the elders at different times. Uh, I didn't, um, I didn't really have the kind of relationship with, especially the second minister who was, who was out here. Uh, yeah. knew. uh, I didn't have any kind of, I didn't want any kind of relationship with him, uh, right. that was worth talking to. Um, and, and really what ended up happening was, um, in a, in a lot of respects, um, I mean, I really tried to look out for the people that raised me in the faith. And so, you know, so I'd go visit them in the hospital and I'd, you know, when they were shut in, like I'd organize, uh, you know, groups that, to go over and visit them and do like a hymn sing or something like that. Uh, I've done some of their funerals at this point, um, you know, so it, and there wasn't really any way to recover that kind of community uh, from within this, this system. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing it went from, there was a natural community that existed and people, yeah. people could be incorporated in that community. Um, but then, uh, there came a time when, uh, when that wasn't, I don't know if that wasn't working or if somebody thought it wasn't working or really what the, uh, what the situation was. But then they started trying to do create like these artificial forms of community. Um, yeah. You know, on fifth Sundays, we're going to do everybody has to sign up for. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they had some kind of clever name for. It. Uh, but, you know, go over to somebody's house and hang out. And, and so you had this this artificial kind of community where they thought that, um, you know, if they got enough people together and if you like the same sports team, uh, maybe eventually you'd start talking about Jesus. And, uh, and maybe you would, I mean, you'd use the word Jesus, but that wasn't the same thing as actual discipleship, or it wasn't the same thing as praying together. It wasn't the same thing as living a life together and and sharing in that life. And it was, and so, you know, at one level, um, you know, there was, there was stuff that was happening within the leadership of the church that wasn't ideal. Um, but that's also something that I think has happened uh, within our society, uh, you know, uh, uh, as a whole, uh, is society has become more and more fragmented, and we've compartmentalized ourselves from each other uh, in ways that are not healthy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you see that in, you know, just in, in current church relations right now. Because um, at this point, you know, I've been in churches really across the spectrum. Uh, yes. And very conservative, you know, rural churches, very liberal urban churches, churches, you know, everywhere in between. And um, and they're all very tribal, um, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And they're tribal, not according to their theology, but according to their politics. And and I don't have any I, I'm, I'm just out of patience with that. Yeah. Um, because that has nothing to do with Christ. Um, yeah. You know whatever your whatever your issue is, um, and that's and that's really what it is. We've baptized our politics into uh, into um, into our religion, and and as we've done that, we've lost the the undercurrent of, of spirituality and the under the ability uh, to come together and worship God. You know, I mean, the church that I grew up in, 
there were uh, there were Republicans and Democrats that sat next to each other. Uh, there were rich and poor that sat next to each other. I mean, there were there were people who had completely different uh, life experiences and and understandings of the world. But when they came together as the church, they they worshipped together. Right. Well, now um, you know in 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 both liberal and conservative settings. I've had people in, in very conservative churches come to me and talk to me apologetically because, you know, they actually vote Democratic. And I've been in very liberal churches, and I had a guy explain to me that when he was a kid in 1964, he went to a Goldwater rally, and it was it still stick, sticks with him as like this religious, you know, experience um, of, of fascism, I guess. Yeah, uh, right. You know, so, I mean, it, it just... Uh, and so I think one of the things that's important to think about in, in contemporary church settings is the degree to which we've allowed these, these political positions to come in and cannibalize what it means to be Christian. And, and then what that does to people in a church that actually see things a little bit differently than, you know, maybe the majority of the church that I was growing up in leaned one way or the other. Uh, it's true to say there were probably a lot of Roosevelt Democrats in there. Um, you know, but, uh, but that stuff didn't come into the doors. It wasn't stuff that was preached about because we had, I mean, there were other things to talk about, uh, right. that sermons weren't just, uh, you know, a list of attacking the other side, whatever that is, or complaining about, um, you know, I mean, for God's sake, I mean, like I grew up, you know, really formative years. Uh, was during the Clinton administration that spanned high school and college. Yeah. And, you know, if I had a dollar for every sermon that I heard complaining about Clinton's infidelity and his moral depravity or whatever, and then I compared that to the lack of sermons that I hear in conservative churches about the same issues with this exact same kind of guy who's in office right now, um, you know, like that kind of hypocrisy and that kind of political stupidity. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know who your audience is. Um, but I, that, it's I mean, okay. That has nothing to do with Christ. Um, yeah. Like the church cannot act like that and, and condemn one person for those behaviors and support another through it. Um, so, so you saw this, you saw this, um, uh, this breakdown of community. You, you saw a rise up in, um, you know, really uh, hypocrisy uh, in, in uh, you know, uh, in, in the Christian life due to political, uh, due to political uh, leanings, right? Uh, and, and I don't disagree with you at all, by the way, even, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm in a uh, conservative community as you are right now. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm sure uh, we come with similar viewpoints in the church, um, you know, and and even see ourselves as outsiders to that, uh, because you know I I saw that same hypocrisy and struggled with that hypocrisy when we elected our uh, you know President Trump, um, and and it's just like okay, what are we willing to give up? What are we willing to you know sacrifice? But you saw all these you saw all these different things. You saw all these breakdowns. You saw. You saw the wrong things being being brought out and being brought up, um, and and you decided like you kind of, you were you were done with your current uh, church system, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you started seeking through other um, you know other avenues, other faith avenues, other denominations. What were you looking for when you were seeking out um, a ministry in these other denominations? What what were you looking for exactly uh, in those things? Well, I would say, first of all, um, in the first instance, I was always, because um, I was ordained in, geez, I, almost uh, 21 years ago now. Uh, yeah. So I was ordained within the Independent Christian Church. Uh, yeah. And... And I really, and I, and I really have made an effort to stay within that tradition and to keep the ties there, uh, because, and for a long time, I made a much stronger effort than maybe I currently am, because I don't think, 
you know, I, I don't know about switching teams between innings or changing horses midstream or, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use for that. And I also think right. that God uh, calls us uh, to minister where we are yeah. um, and within the context that we're in. And so, you know, as far as like, say, looking to like, you know, change teams, that wasn't really part of it initially. Uh, yeah. What was part of it was learning from other um other, uh, I guess, Christian backgrounds uh, or Christian traditions. And so, you know, so a couple of resources that were really, really helpful in thinking that through um, was initially uh, Richard Foster uh, wrote a couple of books, uh, one on prayer. And the book on prayer, uh, that's all it's called. It's just just prayer. It probably has a yeah, it probably has a subtitle, but uh, Richard Foster. It does. It's just called a prayer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he talks about, I mean, like 20-some different ways of praying. And I just thought, well, gee, you know, when I grew up, uh, I was taught one way of praying, which is that you ask God for things. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you're four, you ask God for a waiting pool with the, with the little slide on it, because uh, that's what I wanted. I remember, you know, praying about that as I got older. Um, you know, I became really faithful about using like our church's prayer list. Um, so every night I'd read through all that, I'd pray all that and I'd ask for these things. And, and so prayer was the way it was presented was only there to, to ask God for things. Um, and, and in reading this other book, I said, oh man, there's all these other ways of, of approaching God or thinking about God. They come from these other traditions, and these and there's value in these other traditions. Um, yeah. And then he wrote another book. Uh, I can't remember the exact title of it, uh, but it, it some streams is in it, and it talks about these different streams of of Christian traditions, where yeah. um, you know there's some broad streams of uh, you know the Roman Catholic Church, the Western Church, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is important for uh, people in um, uh, Protestant backgrounds, uh, evangelical backgrounds to understand, because without those streams, you wouldn't be here. And uh, those are the things that, that without those streams, we wouldn't have the scriptures. We wouldn't have uh, some of the, you know, the, the basic uh, traditions of hymnody or, you know, whatever. And, um, and so, and I'm mentioning that <clears throat> because, excuse me, there's a, uh, a tendency to dismiss those things, right? Right. And <clears throat> so at that point, I was, reading, uh, I was reading this book on these different backgrounds, and, um, and I was also experiencing a lot of this. Uh, so, you know, like the first time I went into a church that had a liturgy, um, you know, it was, I mean, the penny dropped because what they were doing was so... Uh, profoundly beautiful and reverent and holy. Uh, like I'd never experienced that kind of worship. Right. Um, you know, it, I mean, our worship was fine, uh, but the, the prayers and the fact that somebody had thought about what they wanted to say to God in prayer, um, that's actually a really profound thing. Uh, right. If you grew up in a tradition where prayer is only extemporaneous, um, that you could think about what you want to pray before you pray it, yeah. uh, you know, what you want to offer on behalf of the church. Um, it was amazingly good. And then uh, I lived in Chicago when I was doing my master's work. And so there, I mean, I was involved in a, uh, uh, like a decentered mega church uh, that had uh, house churches and then a variety of small group or, you know, larger groups uh, that met throughout the city uh, it was a Pentecostal background. And so, you know, I remember like going to school all day, like eight hours a day on Friday, going to worship these guys, um, and then having them like speak in tongues for like an hour and being like, dude, I got to go home. You know, it was just, (laughs) but it was, but it was really fantastic to, to be exposed to that and to understand what that kind of worship was like, uh, you know, to go to Catholic and Orthodox churches uh, to go to, um, you know, I served internships in uh, four or five different uh, denominational settings while I was up yeah. there and went to the mosque, went to Hindu temple, went to the Buddhist temple, 
uh, and experienced those things and, and saw, you know, just different ways of approaching, uh, approaching the divine in that, in that very large interfaith way. But then just within the Christian tradition, just seeing different elements and components of what worship could look like. Mm-hmm. Um, that was incredibly formative and, and meeting other people from radically different faith backgrounds and sitting down with them for coffee or after church, talking to them and, and then being able to, um, to walk out of there, uh, and, and saying, okay, this is a brother or sister in Christ. Um, and it was at that point, like I really developed, uh, I developed my threshold, uh, which was to say, that at one level, I had to recognize uh, the black, uh, lesbian, one-legged Presbyterian minister as a sister in Christ. Like, that was, you know, that was as far out there as I could get. I mean, like, you have these different races, different sexual orientations, disability, all these things. And I thought, well, if I go and speak to them, and they can speak in in a comprehensible way about their experience with Christ, uh, then I'm not the person that can judge and say that they're not a Christian mm-hmm. uh, because of the denominational differences or, you know, the lifestyle differences or the racial differences or the, you know, some of these other uh, things that people in churches use to, uh, to keep people away from, from their church. And I've seen all of those things be used in churches uh, as, as, um, as barriers to entry. Uh, you're disabled. We don't have a place for you. Uh, you know, it's a different race. It's a different economic status. It's a different gender, whatever it is. We don't have a place for you. So does, does community, um, for you, um, supersede theology in a, uh, in a church community? No, no. I mean, if community supersedes theology, then you no longer have a church. I mean, and that's what that's what happened in the church that I that I, I grew up in. But that's what uh, sounds like, if you don't mind me saying this. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Uh, you know what has happened, right? In order for you to accept, uh, you know, the the most diverse person you can into your community, you have to um, recognize the disagreements that you have theologically in order to embrace this person in a, uh, in a, as a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Well, actually, I, I think um, what I tried to do with that example, and again, that's just a completely made up. Yeah, I understand. Thing, yeah. Right. But what I, I mean, the, the, uh, the tipping point in that example isn't the differences. It's the spiritual connection to Christ. Okay. Um, and so, you know, and so that's what I said at the at, kind of at the end of that. I said, you know, if I sat down and talked with somebody at one of these churches, and I can and I can acknowledge that we have uh, theological disagreements. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the history of the church, right there. Is it's yeah. a history of theological disagreements, and it's a history that you go back and see in the New Testament. Um, you know, the Book of Acts is really a book of theological disagreements that are overcome. Uh, in the in the reality of unity in Christ. Well, yeah, uh, specifically Acts fifteen, right? Did yeah, you know? specifically yeah. Acts fifteen. Well, there's, I mean, or it goes back to uh, it goes back to Acts seven. Uh, you have the yeah. you know the Greek believers and the you know and the and the Jewish believers. Yeah. There are differences in that theology that they had to overcome, and and the differences were such that uh, people within the church were being excluded from the life of the church. Uh, and then you get into um, you get into that Acts 15 passage where there's these very explicit uh, fundamental markers of what it meant to be uh, of what it meant to be Jewish. And at that point, there's not really a, there's not a strong distinction between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, Christianity exists kind of as a sect within Judaism at that point. Right. And so, I mean, so they're taking these foundational. Um, you know, markers of what it means to be a, a follower of God. And they're saying, you're, you're a Gentile, you don't have to follow the law. You're a Gentile, you don't have to do this. But right. you can still be this kind of follower of God. 
Um, and so, so what happens in Christ overcomes those theological differences. Um, and, and so that's really what I'm more interested in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, through the farmhouse, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, and we've had this happen on numerous occasions where from day to day, uh, we'll have, you know, one day, say, an incredibly conservative, I mean, you know, almost right wing fundamentalist kind of, of person in. And, and we can sit up on our deck and we can talk about Christ and we can discuss their their spiritual life and what they're learning and where they are and where they think God's leading them. And that's fine. And then the next day uh, we can have like the most you know liberal out there, somebody that isn't even sure that they believe in God anymore, but they're still trying to explore their faith. And we can talk to them and do it in that way. And the, the commonality there is always going to be Christ. And as long as you can speak about, um, yeah, you're willing to engage in these spiritual things and have this spiritual conversation, then uh, there's room for you to, you know, to be to be part of this uh, of this Christian community. So let, let's let's uh, start bringing this down into a very practical level as we kind of finish out here. Um, you know, I, I I love what you're saying, and I love the fact that it's 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 Christ over our our specifics, right? Um, that it that it all centers on Christ. How if if you were to you know start a church, plant a church, do church, um, how would you bring your your theology and your practice of that into a church? If you had full control, what would that look like for you? Uh, if I had full control, I think what it would look like. First of all, I think worship would be significantly different. Um, I think you know what we do in a lot of churches is we compartmentalize uh, what happens. Uh, so we're going to have a song service. We're just going to get together. We're going to sing through a few songs. We're going to stop singing through songs. Someone's going to say a prayer. Um, you might have uh, have you know celebrate the Lord's Supper then, or you might wait till the end. Uh, but again, it's compartmentalized. You're going to have someone stand up and just talk at you for 20 or 30 minutes uh, about something that may or may not have anything to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you're going to have someone stand up and you'll sing another song and a closing prayer, and then you'll all go home. Um, I mean, so since, you know, in an ideal situation, um, you know, what it, what it would look like, and that's what we do in a lot of our retreats, uh, would be something that would be quieter, a little bit more meditative, uh, that would have more of an opportunity for people to respond, uh, and engage with, uh, with what's happening. Um, we're going to pray together. That's what I like about liturgy, uh, is first of all, liturgy, uh, it typically draws on scripture. And so we're using the language of scripture uh, as the basis uh, or the shape of our prayer. And when we do that, uh, we're learning the language of God. Yeah. Uh, um, it, I mean, just like my children right now are learning what it means to be people uh, by, by listening to how we talk. They repeat, you know, the language that my wife and I use, uh, fortunately, in a fairly appropriate way so far. Um, but, you know, but like that kind of thing has to be brought into the church, um, you know, so that our language, uh, is, is shaped and changed by our prayers, uh, and, uh, and the way in which we sing shapes and changes who we are and how we think. And we bring the scripture, uh, into the community as, um, not, you know, not as a, like two or three verses, um, you know, the basis of my sermon is, you know, Matthew 531 or something like that, right? Um, the basis of my sermon is this chunk of scripture that we're yeah. going to take seriously and wrestle with. And, and the sermon uh, is there um, maybe to, to guide and correct or to, uh, or to uplift or, or whatever, but it's really there to ask questions and to give people the tools that they need uh, in order to, to understand that scripture and to think about how they're going to bring that into their into their life. I mean, I can tell somebody what to do with the scripture, but that isn't 
that's like the the least successful form of teaching. Oh I, yeah, completely. Yeah. You know, I can tell them this is what the scripture means. This is what you're supposed to do with it. And that actually isn't going to do jack squat for 98% of the people that are sitting there. But if you give them different ways to think about it, to imaginatively engage with it, uh, and to, to kind of celebrate it and to sit before it, then you have the potential to create a, uh, a, a profoundly powerful uh, experience of what that scripture is about. Yeah. Um, and then and then the final thing I think that has to be part of it is I think what we do in our worship and what we do in the church uh, has to be appropriately sacramental. And that's a word that's not used in a lot of, uh, of, of evangelical churches. Uh, it's a word that isn't used in, in quite a few Protestant churches uh, because it had um, Connotations of magic uh, back when um, back when uh, when the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church went their separate ways. Uh, but what it really means is that God is present and acting in and through these earthly things. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, the issue in uh, you know in the Protestant Church. Uh, was that of transubstantiation, and, and right. so bread and wine becomes God. And and whatever your theology is of that, I mean, I'm not going to get into the weeds on it. But, uh, but at one level, if God isn't somehow deeply and profoundly present in that act, then I don't know why we're doing it. Um, and I grew up in a tradition that that had very much a memorialist perspective. You eat the bread and you take the, and you drink the cup. And while you're doing it, remember that Jesus died for your sins. And it was nonsense in a couple of different levels. First of all, I already know that Jesus died for my sins. I don't have to remember it as if I'd forgotten it from one week to the next. Second of all, the, the Christ that I worship uh, didn't just die for my sins. The Christ that I worship and know lives. And so what that did was it cut off access to a living Christ who was present and active uh, within my faith tradition, within that community that I was part of. Um, and, and we did similar things with baptism and marriage and stuff like that. I mean, oh, you know, we don't want to say that marriage is a sacrament. Well, if it's not, then why are we doing it? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole the whole service needs to be sacramental. I mean, like from from beginning to end, from from you know, uh, let us pray to Amen. It needs to needs to have uh, the presence of Christ infused within it in order for it to be truly worship. Uh, you know, that's and, spirit and truth, in my yeah. in my opinion. Well, I, and I think I, th I think that, and I, I think even beyond that, I mean, part of what the Christian is called to do is to understand that the whole of life is sacramental. I mean, what a, and again, what a sacrament is, is it's a grace of God that is imparted to humanity in physical means. And yeah. so the grace of God that's imparted to humanity is every Friday night when, you know, my family and I sit down and we have our special meal. And we eat together every night anyway. But Friday nights are a little bit more special. And that's a sacramental reality. And it's a sacramental reality when we encounter people at, at the store or in our daily lives. Is Our role is to, is to function as Christ and to walk into these settings bringing right. Christ with us. And yeah. so where we have like these special sacraments, uh, like baptism or the Eucharist or, you know, whatever— uh, those are things where that that everyday sacrament is heightened at this moment. When we gather for worship, the everyday sacrament is heightened in, yeah. in this way through our elements, through our, our actions together, where we learn what it is to be the church, where we learn what it is to be the body of Christ through our uh, engagement with the word. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, so in an ideal world, and if I had, you know, an unlimited amount of uh, of, of money, because you have to have that to start a church, uh, you know, and willing people and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of what it would look like. Um, it's a beautiful picture. I mean, you know, very, uh, uh, very religious, very spiritual, very community driven, very uh, you know, sacramental. 
uh, to use your word. Uh, and, 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 and I, I, you know, I really appreciate it. And as you know, this season, we're talking about people who are unchurched or de-churched or have had problems with the church, you know, to hear that there are still people in the world today, um, in, in this country today, um, who are fighting for a better church, um, who are called to uh, form a better church, I hope is refreshing to our audience, um, because that is really what it's about. Uh, Brad, uh, I want to thank you uh, 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 for being on the podcast. Um, you know, this has been this has been fun for me. I, I don't get to talk this kind of stuff very often with people, um, you know, who who know the language and who have experienced the things that I have. And so it's been it's been very good for me. I, I hope I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it's been a ball. I mean, I love talking about this stuff. So thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's good to meet all your all your listeners, I guess. Um, yeah, come yeah. down farmhouse, hang out with us. Uh, we've got what, a good where can place. they find you on the inter on the interwebs as we say uh, on the podcast. You should be able to find me at uh, at the farmhouse mission. Uh, if you Google that, it should come up. Uh, farmhousemission.org is our website. Uh, I've been, and, and we also have a Facebook page that'll come up, uh, and I, I'll offer both of those. We've had some, uh, our website had some weird malware thing a few weeks ago. Oh, that I'm perfect. To like, yeah. Uh, so if you get redirected to like a Viagra site, that's not actually what the farmhouse is about. <laughs> that's just what the hackers like stole our, hijacked our site to. So I've been wrestling with uh, Google and GoDaddy to get that sorted out. And I think we're, I think we're on, on the on the downhill side of that right now. But uh, anyway, you can catch us some which way. All right, great. Um, and thank you again for listening to the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Uh, if you are interested in uh, learning more about our church, uh, you can go to our website, cornerstonerock.org. You can look for us on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at CCC Brownsburg. And we have a brand new YouTube channel, uh, which is which is nice. Uh, just search for Cornerstone Church Brownsburg. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can find out more information about our online virtual worship. Uh, since at the time of this taping, no churches are currently meeting because of the coronavirus. Uh, but uh, if you hear this uh, and we're all past that, uh, our services are normally Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.30. But again, check out our website for the most up-to-date and current information. All right, guys, that does it for us this week. Uh, God bless and peace, love, and soul. Thank you.